Earlier this year, I connected with a former employee of mine, someone I hadn't talked to in a few years. She reached out to me unexpectedly, so it was especially nice to catch up and just hear how she and her family were doing, how work was going, and also to congratulate her on a recent promotion. Towards the end of our conversation, she reminded me of something that happened several years ago that I honestly just hadn't thought about in a long time. When we'd only been working together for a short amount of time, her father was battling an illness. During that battle, she was out a lot. She was spending time with her family. She was being comfort to him and what were going to be his final days. I would regularly reach out to her just to check on her. Not to talk about work, but just ask about how she, her father, and her family were doing. When he passed, I made sure that flowers were sent to her from the entire team. When we spoke recently, she told me how much of an impact that had on her then and still today. She'd recently had an employee going through something similar and not really being sure what to do, not f- nothing from a handbook for being a manager. She thought back to one of the things that brought her some comfort during her father's illness, me checking in and offering support. So that's what she did. I'm not telling you the story so that I can paint myself as a saint, because I'm not. Far from it. I'm telling you this because we never really know what exactly our legacy is, but I think it's rarely what we expect, at least not completely. Our legacy becomes our actions, words we said in passing, gestures done because it felt natural, all of those things on the in-between of life. I want to say before I go into the episode, just as a content warning, today's episode deals with the topic of suicide. So please be especially mindful as you listen. I just also want to call out that if at any point during this interview I sound uncomfortable or unsure what to say, it's because I was. The point of this podcast, though, is to have uncomfortable conversations and celebrate loved ones. My goal was to approach a difficult subject in a way that was tender, kind, and I just want to thank my guest today for her patience and her grace. Thank you. Hello and welcome to Our Last Mill. I'm your host, Andrew, and my guest this week is Kindle, inventor of the kitchen gadget, the Herbtastic. Kindle created this device and started her company as a tribute to her late father, who she lost to suicide at the age of 16. Now at 22, she has a thriving business and enjoys traveling and spending time with her friends and family. Kindle, thank you for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Andrew. Yeah, I'm... I'm, I was really looking forward to talking to you. Um, I mentioned before we got started that, you know, whenever I'd seen your profile and saw how, you know, food and grief and, you know, just honoring, a, you know, somebody special to you, how it kind of intersected and it's really in line with what the mission of this show is. So uh, I'm, I'm very thankful that I get a chance to sit down and talk with you today. Yeah, I'm excited to talk through some things and hopefully learn from each other today. I, I love that attitude. Um, this I, I tell people when they come on the show and whenever I talk to people about the show, this it's not fun. Fun's not the word I would use. Um, the conversations are always really good, though, and, and helpful. And I know personally, in a year and a half of doing this, I've learned so much from other people talking about grief and their processes that it's helped me. And, you know, people come on and, and they get a chance to talk about grief in a way that they don't typically do. So it, it is... I think it's helpful. I hope it's what I'm going for. Yeah, it's like cathartic almost. Yeah, it's it's exactly that's that's how I've described it. Um, I actually the last episode was the season or season two episode one, and I was the guest on that one to talk about my grandmother, and yeah, just (laughs) getting to talk about somebody in a way that you don't typically get to do, like having the space where it's it is purposely that's what you're meant to do was really helpful. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I'll, I'll say to, uh, you know, I don't mean this to sound, uh, rude or anything, but to be still young and so willing to be open about this and share and talk about it is really impressive. And I, I am appreciative of that. And I know the audience will be as well. Thank you. Um, so first of all, can, can you tell me a little bit about the the gadget that you invented? Cause that was the thing that immediately I was like, that's, that's really cool. And it's, I just, I was impressed by that. 
Yeah, so what I invented is called Herbtastic, and it's kind of like a little rake almost, and it strips the leaves off of herbs. So if you cook with cilantro, rosemary, parsley, rather than having to sit there and individually remove each leaf from the stem, you can just rake over them and it will separate them for you. Um, I actually created it, like you mentioned, because of my dad. He was a chef, so we grew up cooking with a lot of fresh herbs and cooking very regularly in our house. And that was definitely one of our top 10 most annoying tasks to strip the leaves for sure. Yeah. That's, it's one of those things. I, I love I love how something that can be so banal and so annoying, you know, we don't do anything mm-hmm. about it. We just live with it. But you actually did something about it. Um, yeah. And yeah, that's that's one of the most annoying things about cooking. Like whenever you're using fresh herbs is just trying to do that. I hate that process. I half the time I'm like, there's going to be stems in this and I don't care. I just don't want to have to go through the process. Yeah. I even heard, I was talking to people who kind of gave up on using herbs altogether because it just wasn't worth the time and energy. And so when I invented Herbtastic, we actually sent it out to a bunch of our family and friends and had them send it to their friends. And I think the most interesting comment that I got back was that it was therapeutic to be able to use herbs easily again and it just wasn't what I was expecting but I could totally relate once that they had put it into words like that I I get it there's um there's something that's really cool about solving problems I in my Mm -hmm. day job I work in a space where we um we build technical products and the whole thing is trying to make something that makes somebody's life easier so like, I, I love that. And I, I just that idea of I can work on something and make people's day to day just simpler. It's right, fun. So yeah. getting to make like a, a tangible physical thing that people can use and then getting that feedback is really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. So I, I have to ask, did you did you set out to say I'm going to solve this problem or was it more of a like what what like what's the moment that inspired you? Like I'm going to create this thing. It was actually when I was in college, my professor asked me a question that I think pretty much every college student gets asked. And he said, so what do you want to be when you grow up essentially? And I said that I was going to be an inventor. I had all these ideas that I wanted to actually bring to life. And in just a somber tone, he asked me why I wasn't already doing that. And in that moment, it kind of dawned on me that I was waiting around for nothing. Like there was never going to be the perfect perfect opportunity. There was never going to be this aha moment that it was the time to start. And so he actually ended up connecting me with the innovation lab at Stetson, which is where all our 3D printers are. And so I ended up 3D printing my product and that's how we got started. And it was just because someone simply asked me like what I was waiting for. All right. I get, so this is going to sound like I'm being overly complimentary, but it's true. Like that is, that's an amazing approach to it because that question of what are you going to be when you grow up? Yeah. Like we start that early and I'm in my mm-hmm. mid thirties. I still, if I ask myself, yeah. I'm still not really sure. Cause uh, you know, we'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. But I mean, to actually stop and say like, okay, why aren't I doing this? And like for him to challenge you that way, like that, that's a good professor. Yeah, he was an exceptional professor. I hope he got a free one of these at least. Yeah, he did. He got some of my early prototypes. He actually ended up helping me pick the name, um, connecting me with attorneys to get my patent. Like, ended up playing a, a really big role in my success as an entrepreneur. That is incredible. That's um, kudos to him. Kudos to you. I mean, yeah, I I got nothing but compliments to say about that. That's really cool. And uh, yeah, I got lucky that he was my professor. He was my first professor in school. (laughs) And I don't think that I would ever change that for anything. I hope at some point you write a memoir about this. Because I mean, really, that that almost feels, that's a perfect moment, okay? First college professor and getting challenged that early in a way Mm -hmm. that, that's like you said, I think we get that question a lot. We don't always get that second part, the challenge about it. But then for him to follow through with you and and actually help mentor you, that's, that's incredible. Yeah. I agree. I still keep in touch with him. I always will. So I'm, I'm really grateful for him That's as well. Awesome. So when's the next, what's the next product you're going to launch? I mean, you, you got to have something, something after that, right? Yeah, I actually have a few things that we've prototyped out. 
Um, one of them is a tool to cut and serve cake, like an all-in-one. Yeah. And then the other tool is for baking as well to cut and serve like cookies and shapes and brownies and things like that. Um, and then we have one that we're working on that's far more complex. And so it's just not coming together quite as well yet, but we're trying to do like a zester juicer all in one tool. It just requires a lot of moving parts, which is proving to be a bit more complicated. I'm just going to say this. I can't wait for that to come out. We use a lot of citrus in our <laughs> house. Um, yeah. My wife, uh, she uses a lot of uh, lime and lemon when she's, uh, she's uh, you know, making chicken or anything. And, and so, yeah, that, mm-hmm. and I'm just going to say this. I'm already planning to order an herb tastic because that's something that we need. <laughs> but once the zester juicer comes out, that's an, that's an immediate buy. Yeah, I'll be sure to put you on the list of early adopters then. I would be glad to. <laughs> so, I want to I want to transition a little bit. So you know, you said that um, that it started there, but it, it sounds like too. You you said that you've got a lot of you have a lot of ideas. So you're an ideas person by nature, right? But the fact that something related to food was the first place you went. You know, you mentioned that your your father was a chef, so. Was it a purposeful, you wanted to create something that was a kitchen gadget? Was that was that related to your father? Was that why you wanted to start there? Yeah, I would say. I would say honestly that both my entrepreneurial and creative spirit and my passion for cooking came from my dad. Because my dad, he also, when he was younger and in his like 20s and 30s, he had opened up a restaurant in Florida. And so that was kind of where his entrepreneurial journey started. And then from there, he opened a a store to build barbecue islands. And he was always kind of pushing me to also think about things a little bit differently. And he was super outgoing. And I think part of being an entrepreneur is that even if you're an introvert, you have to be able to pretend to be extroverted. Um, And when it comes to like going to pitch competitions and conferences, my ability to connect with people was inspired by my dad because he made friends everywhere we went. You'd go to the grocery store and the next thing you know, someone from the grocery store was coming over to have dinner at the house. And so I think that that combined with growing up cooking with him is what made me successful early on. And what gave me the ideas that I felt were worth solving. Yeah. I, I love it that he instilled so much in you so young. And, mm-hmm. you know, you mentioned something there about being in, you know, about for introverts. So I'm assuming are you more introverted by nature? Yeah, but I always thought I was extroverted because of my dad, because my dad and I acted very extroverted together. And so I just naturally assumed that that's what I was. And then now that I've gotten older, I've realized that I definitely need some downtime to recharge by myself. I, I the older I get, the more I learn about myself, which is um, it's 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 still a really cool process to be able to constantly learn about yourself, especially as you grow and change over time. But that idea of needing that downtime to kind of recharge your social battery, um, I am hopeful. I, th- I feel like as a society, we've we've had that conversation a little bit more. Because uh, mm-hmm. I, I hate too that there's this idea that pe- you're either introverted or extroverted, when it's it's more of a spectrum, you know. Like you, yeah, I'm a little bit of both. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you, it sounds like you know, with somebody that you're close with, you can be that more extroverted self, you know. But you still need that time to recharge, and it sounds like as part of you know your professional life, I mean, you have to be able to turn on the extrovertedness, mm-hmm. at least a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. Um. Now, your father, you know, you, you told me a little bit about him. Can you tell me more about him and, you know, what it was like growing up with him? And, and you know, he, you said he had a restaurant, and then you said that he was, you know, actually building and designing these barbecue islands. What what was that like? Yeah, so I unfortunately missed a lot of that because it was before my time. Even though I have an old soul, I wasn't physically there. <laughs> and so... Um, my dad was building barbecue island still the very, very early years of my life, and I don't have a lot of memory of that. But what I do have a lot of memory of is my dad getting these random bursts of energy and ideas 
So I remember one year we were sitting around and I was doing homework. My dad was just fed up with me working on school all the time and he wanted to hang out and do something. And so he goes outside and after maybe an hour, he comes in, he's like, Kendall, I need your help with something. And I said, okay, I'll come when I'm done with my homework. And he's like, no, I really need your help. I'm like, well, now what? So I get up, my dad had decided then and there, we were gonna start gardening. That was gonna be a new thing. We were gonna make a garden. And so we spent the next several days and weekends building a garden in our Arizona backyard, which for people who don't know a lot about Arizona, ground doesn't get much harder than that. <laughs> so trying to dig anything in Arizona and then let alone trying to get something to have enough nutrients to survive, it's a miracle that we ever got anything to grow. But I think that that really helped play into our cooking together and then me solving these kitchen problems later on because one of the things that we did grow was fresh herbs. And then we also would grow like squash and weird stuff, just random things that we would try. And anytime something grew, I mean, one year we grew a, a little yellow squash. It was probably this big. So our three inch little squash and we were so excited. <laughs> so that that night we had planned our whole meal around what we were gonna make with this little to nothing amount of squash that we had grown. And so I think that those things are what I always think about when I think of my dad is these random call to action moments that he would get. Yeah. Do you do you think that the, those call to action moments that they kind of keep you going now or they, they drive you now whenever you feel that, that burst of inspiration? Yeah, because I think that what I used to do growing up was push everything aside. Like I'm gonna finish this first and then I'll go and help my dad and or I'm gonna do this one assignment and then I'll go hang out with my friends. And the way that my dad lived was very much more in the heat of the moment. And so it, it has inspired me now, like if I'm sitting down watching TV or something with my fiance and I have like a great idea or all of a sudden I have the urge to do something, instead of doing what most people would do and be respectful to finish the movie, I'm like, you have to pause it. I need to go do X, Y, and Z. And so I think that because of that, I don't miss as many opportunities because I am quick to react. And I think that that's something that has been really helpful. And even in the process of losing my dad and reacting quickly to what I needed in those moments really helped me to be in a better place now than if I had waited too long to react to his death. So I do want to talk about that a little bit more too. So I know you lost him at a young age and mm -hmm. you just mentioned how that, that, uh, I guess ability to react quickly, you know, in the aftermath of that, because that, mm -hmm. that, that is a tragic thing so young, but in the aftermath of that, how did you transition to more of a state of, obviously you, you started in a state, state of grieving, but how did you transition to a state of healing? Yeah, so I think for those of us who've gone through the grief process, we know that there's no real path. Um, you kind of bounce back and forth between different stages of grief, or at least that's how I felt. Yeah. And so because my dad had died by suicide, when he first passed away, my whole family, it seemed like, had this sense of anger almost like they didn't understand how he could do that or why he would do that and i had been fortunate that i knew my dad was going through this for a while and i went to counseling with him that was one of the things that we had put in place together um, after one of his first suicide attempts that we were we would sit down and do counseling together because i was so young and i didn't understand it and I wanted to try to make it better. And so I had gone through counseling with my dad for probably a year and a half to two years at the point that he actually passed away. And so my initial defense after my dad passed away was really defending him and why he had done that and where he was coming from. And I think it didn't truly make sense to me. It's something 
that I don't know that I'll ever fully understand, but I had talked to him enough about it that I was able to kind of pass along some of that closure to my family. And so in those initial weeks, I don't really feel that I was grieving as much. I was more so trying to like defend his honor. And then I would say probably a month or so after, that's when I started to really like break down and realize that my dad wasn't on a long vacation and he wasn't farming penguins in Alaska like he said he always would. He was gone. And I think that that is when I really started to have a hard time with even just being alone was difficult. Um, and so that's when I started going to counseling. I started relying on my friends a lot more. Like my best friend in high school, I her mom would pick me up and I would hang out with her a lot. Um, I would go to this restaurant that my dad and I used to go to every Monday and I would just go hang out there until my mom got home from work. Like I had to find outlets where I was comfortable being by myself or quietly with other people. And so many things there that, I, you know, that you said, um, first of all, that he would, you know, he would take you to counseling. It, while you were saying that to me, just what it sounded like, and, and if I'm wrong, I apologize and please correct me. But it really sounded like, you know, he, it was something that he was concerned about the, or that he was worried about. And so he was doing everything he could to, you know, protect you in a way of, you know, let me, mm -hmm. let me work with her. Let me, you know, show her, you know, just show her that, Hey, we try to fight things. And, you know, he was, he was keeping you involved. And as a father myself, I mean, you're always going to think about your child. And so it, it just sounds very much like he was constantly concerned with you there. And, um, and then, but then for your, for your family around you, for the people around you to step in, in that situation, you talked about your friend's mom, you know, to, to be a support system, you know, it, it's, it's really, it's, it is great that there was that, you know, there was some community there, but also to the, the other thing you talked about, you know, that feeling of defending his honor, mm -hmm. you know, it, I don't know. I, I, it's hard for me to have even a follow up question on that. It just really resonates that, you know, you, you couldn't even go straight into the grieving process. You had to kind of start there. Maybe that was even part of the grieving process. Yeah. I think that as much as I was convincing them, I was convincing myself. Yeah. That that makes sense to me, you know, but from there, you know, you said that you, you know, that you would go to the restaurant that you, you, you and he used to go to a lot, you know, what did your grieving process look like over the next few years or even to this day? Cause it's, it's one of those things. It doesn't just stop it. You know, that grief process, like you said, it, it flows for different people differently. You know, how would you say that you feel now? Yeah, I would say now I have more consistency and control over my emotions than I did before. Like right after my dad passed away, I was kind of like, I don't know, a walking time bomb. Like I, you never knew what someone was going to say or do or look at me in a strange way. And I would just like lash out, burst into tears, whatever it may be. And I think that I was just in such a fragile place and I didn't even understand my own feelings and how to cope with them. And I would say that now after going through counseling and working through those things and working through how to handle it when it comes up again, I have a lot more stability in my emotions, but I still get upset. I still have bad days, bad weeks. I mean, the time around when my dad passed away, I you try to not think about it and just go about your day, but it seems like no matter what happens, like on the day of the anniversary of his passing, I always am more emotional. My body just knows. And so I think what I've started to do is actually build time into my day to be upset when I need to be upset. Like if I know that that day is going to be hard, if I know my dad's birthday is going to be hard, then I would rather let the people in my community know that and to plan accordingly. So, I mean, on my dad's birthday, we normally go out and celebrate, like we'll go out to dinner or do something special for his birthday. We'll go to the arcade. My dad loved the arcade. And so I think that having those moments of celebration for him 
even though he's not physically here, have helped me rather than just trying to like bottle up my emotions over time. Yeah. Again, you're very insightful. I'll give you, I just want to say that because so many things you said there that I'll, I'll touch on. So first the idea of kind of listening to your body and knowing when, you know, you're, you're, you're feeling, feeling sad that day or you, you know, you just feel it. And there are those days when you're grieving where, it's just it's this innate thing it's just in there but knowing that and respecting the feelings allowing yourself to feel them as opposed to trying to bottle them up or cover them up but also sharing that with your community that i think that's a really healthy way to deal with that um yeah you know that also just made me think i mean i i don't know what it's like for other you know you mentioned your community for other you know friends and family you know, I'm sure that you've learned a lot that you've been able to help them with, you know, from the from the grieving side over the years. And hopefully, if nothing else, if they haven't had to experience that grief, hopefully they look to you and see, okay, this is a healthy way to do it. And they can learn something from you in the future when it happens. Because the sad thing is that we all grieve at some point. Um, yeah. But the last thing I was going to mention there, and, and feel free to circle back to any of that. But the last thing I'll mention there is the way that you, you spend his celebrate or his birthday to celebrate him you know, and try to make it more of a joyous thing than a sad thing. I think that's such a beautiful way to honor somebody, you know, enjoy the things that they enjoyed and just try to come at it from a place of happiness and love. Yeah, absolutely. I know that's one thing that my dad always made very clear is that everything should be a cause to celebrate in life. And I remember when I was younger, one of my dad's close friends passed away and after the funeral my dad said that we should have a pool party and i was like what is he talking about we're not gonna have a pool party like someone just died this is serious and so when my dad passed away we had a pool party because that's what he would have wanted he wouldn't have wanted us to sit around and be sad and miserable that he was gone he would have wanted us to celebrate his life and i think that making that decision initially when he passed away to have a celebration of life and to tell fun, happy stories about our memories with him. I've tried to carry that same sentiment forward throughout my life now that he's not here and trying to remember and celebrate the things that we did together. And even I think one thing that I've been struggling with more now than I ever have before is going through changes in life that you always thought your dad or whoever it may be would be there for. And so now I'm having a hard time because I'm at the age where I'm getting ready to get married. And then in a few years, I'll be at the age of getting ready to have kids. And those are moments that I never thought I would experience without my dad. And so I'm trying to figure out like how to celebrate and bring him into my wedding and make it feel like he's still there and celebrating in, in person with us. And I think that that's something that helps, but it's also very hard. Yeah. I I can't imagine how difficult that is to try to do that in a way that, you know, you can honor him and, you know, feel that connection. But I think the fact that, you know, that you're, you're being purposeful about it, you know, because mm-hmm. I, I know that that must be difficult to be going through major life changes without them there. But, you know, the fact that you're you're wanting to make sure that he is still connected in some way, that just, to me, that just shows the strength of the bond and the amount of love. Yeah. Yeah, I know that my dad would have done anything for me, and he always did. And so I just want to have that same respect for him now. Wow. I, I, that, that's beautiful. Um, I do want to, I, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about the food aspect of it. Um, I appreciate you talking yeah. to me more about your father. Also, I just, I'm going to pause for just a second and say congratulations on the engagement. It's a very fun time Thanks. of life. Um, <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned, you mentioned that there was a restaurant you'd go to every Monday. And I know whenever we talked uh, ahead of meeting today that you'd uh, mentioned that this was a, a purpose, a purposeful thing that you and him did. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So every Monday, my dad and I had plans. And so we would go to Sushi Brokers and we would sit down at the sushi bar. And I think this is a kind of important part of the story because the reason that we always sat there was one, because my dad wanted to make new friends. And so he wanted to talk to the chefs, but it's also because 
we would have the chefs make us crazy stuff. So instead of ordering from the menu, like most people, we would sit there and we would like give them an ingredient and have two chefs each incorporate this ingredient into a roll or whatever it may be. And then we would sit there and evaluate it like food critics. And then after sushi, we would go to the arcade and we would play Pac-Man and then we'd go home because it was a school night. And I lived for Monday nights. Like I, that was one of my favorite parts of the week because Mondays are typically kind of slow, dreadful days. And it was always just a good pick me up, gave you something to look forward to. And so that's kind of one of the main like relationship moments that my dad and I had around food would be our Monday night dinners together. That, that's awesome. I, I love that so much. You basically got to have your own mini version of like Chopped or Iron Chef. Yeah. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah, it was really fun. Do you, have you ever or do you now do something similar? Do you ever go to a sushi bar and, and try to you know, talk to the chefs or say, like, hey, can you incorporate this into that? Yeah, so I actually, after my dad passed away, that was one of my non-negotiables is that we continued to have Monday night dinner at Sushi Brokers every week. And so my mom and my best friend every Monday would go to Sushi Brokers with me and we would sit at the bar and we would eat. And now that I'm not there anymore because I moved to a different state, um, I still go and have sushi. My fiance will take me and we still go to the arcade and I think that that's something that I'll always continue to do and to bring that tradition into my own family one day. I love that so much. And that your fiance, that he's, you know, he's happy to go along with it. That's, that's great. Yeah, especially because he doesn't like sushi. <laughs> so he comes to the sushi restaurant with me and he gets chicken or something. And hey. he's a good sport about it. You know, most sushi places, though, they have a good hibachi. You know, there's other options. Yeah. Or dumplings, you know. Yeah, exactly. dump, there's never a bad time for dumplings. Or gyoza. I'll agree with that. I actually had some dumplings today, and they were delicious. <laughs> my um, my office there is a there's a food hall connected, and we have a really good dumpling place there. Um, and mm. there's sometimes I'm just like I just really want like some some spicy dumplings and some spicy noodles yeah. to go with it, and like that's the only thing mm. that'll that'll satisfy right then. It's like I have to have that. Yeah, it's funny that you say that because my dad used to get these crazy cravings. One that I always thought was so ironic is that he would want chicken nuggets from McDonald's. And I would always think to myself, you're a chef. You can make anything you wanted, a delicious gourmet meal, and you want chicken nuggets from McDonald's. And so I remember every night for probably a week when I would be on my way home, my dad would say, stop at McDonald's and get chicken nuggets. And he swears that I was lying, but the McDonald's was always closed. Apparently that McDonald's closed at 10. And he thought that I was just too lazy to go to McDonald's and get him chicken nuggets. So I remember one night I got home, it was like 10.30. My dad was mad that I hadn't brought the chicken nuggets home. So he gets in the car, drives me to McDonald's to prove to me that he's gonna get this craving and nip it in the bud with this McDonald's chicken nuggets and it was closed. Oh, so we drove to two other <laughs> McDonald's that night so that he could have chicken nuggets. Because once he had his mind on a food, there, it doesn't matter what you eat. If it's not the thing that you're craving, it just is never as satisfying. Yeah. I mean, no, that's 100% right, though. If I'm craving if I'm craving something, even if I can't get it exactly that, I have to have something close to that. Like. Yeah. The, the big one for me is every once in a while I crave a Cuban sandwich and there just aren't really any Cuban restaurants around me. And I know you lived in Florida, so you probably had several options. Yeah. But, you know, I'm, I'm in North Carolina. We There are Cuban restaurants here. They're just, they're few and far between and it's hard to find a really good one. But sometimes I need a Cuban sandwich. And so I've had to go to Publix before and get the Cuban bread and then I've got to make my own pork, you know, and I've got to just assemble mm-hmm. my own sandwich. But when you've got a craving for something, you got to have that thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I will say too. I mean, even I, I get the irony of like a, a you know a well trained chef wanting you know McDonald's chicken nuggets. Yeah. But in all fairness, sometimes you just you need something simple and bad for you. Yeah, and I think for him, since he cooked all day, 
then he didn't want to come home and cook something for just himself. So if I was out late for volleyball or at a friend's house, then it was just easier for him to not have to cook. Um, but apparently it wasn't as easy as having to drive to three McDonald's. I hope you at least got like a McFlurry or something out of it. Yeah, I definitely did. And I remember when we were cleaning my dad's house after he passed away, we were like pulling couch cushions apart and cleaning everything because we were going to get rid of a bunch of the furniture. And we pulled the couch cushion out and stuck between the two cushions was an empty McDonald's <laughs> box of chicken nuggets. And so I ended up saving the box because I thought it was so funny that only my dad would have somehow ended up with a whole McDonald's chicken nuggets box, although he had eaten them all, but shoved in the couch cushions. I, I'll say this, though. I mean, I don't blame you for keeping it, though. There are just certain things that you need to remind you of people. I, um, yeah. My grandfather, from his passing, I've got a, a shell casing. He, he'd been in the military, and so they did a, um, a salute. And mm-hmm. I've, so I've got one of those shell casings, and this happened when I was in when I was in high school, so you know, almost twenty years ago. And then you know, for my for my grandmother, I've got her, uh, I've got uh, some of her cookbooks that I keep in my house now, or keep in my office. I mean, just having something that reminds you of them, the the memory. It's it's not the thing so much as it is the memory it brings back. And just hearing you tell that story, yeah. I get it. Yeah. Um, so I, so that, I know that was a food thing you did, and I, I love that you had this tradition together, and the fact that you, you maintained that and carried that on is great. What are some foods that uh, he liked to cook for you or that you liked him to cook for you or that you liked to cook together? So one that I really miss is my dad would buy chicken thighs, and he would marinate them in some special marinade, and then he would grill them. And I went through this phase in high school where I hated chicken. I just couldn't eat chicken. I thought it wasn't good, except for that. And so whenever my dad wanted chicken, that's how he had to make it so that I would eat it. And that's one of the things that I really miss because my dad, the way that he cooked, kind of threw a bunch of things together, gave it a taste, and it was either good or he would add something else. And I never really got what that recipe was, mainly because I don't think there was officially a recipe. Um, But I just wish that I would have paid a little bit more attention to what he was doing because I've never been able to recreate it. And so that's one of the things that I really miss that he used to make. Um, One of his favorite things to do, my dad is actually from Maryland. And so when we were in Arizona, he would fly crawfish in and we would fill our bathtubs with crawfish and have a huge crawfish boil every year. And he would make potatoes and corn and sausage to go with the crawfish. And that was always a really fond memory. And I would say that was probably the meal that he looked forward to the most every year. That's um, okay. So for both of those, the, that crawfish, I've heard heard it called a, a low country boil, but you know, I, mm-hmm. I've had those before, and, yeah, those are great. Um, and yeah. it, it's cool that the fact that he was willing to fly it across the country to have the real thing, like, that is commitment to yeah. loving a food. And I have nothing but he that. He was committed. <laughs> yeah. And I remember my mom would get so frustrated because once we had filled our bathtubs with crawfish and we had had the crawfish boil, no matter how many people you invite over, when you have two or three bathtubs full of crawfish, you have leftovers. And so instead of putting them in some type of Tupperware dish or something, my dad would take the drawers out of the fridge and just fill the fridge drawers with the crawfish and put them in. And so the whole fridge would reek of crawfish for like a week until he had eaten them all and had time to clean out the fridge. And so I think that that's something that I always remember joking about. And one year, one crawfish got away. And my dad was sitting on the floor eating his crawfish like he could. And I remember him yelling for me to come. So I come running thinking like he's choking on a crawfish. Something's gone horribly wrong. He's like, Kendall, you forgot one. And there goes this crawfish walking across the floor. (laughs) So that year we had a pet crawfish. Okay, what did you name the crawfish? 
Crawdaddy. That's a great name. Which ended up being ironic because it had babies, so it was not a dad. It was a mom. It was a crow mommy. Yeah. It doesn't have the same ring mm-hmm. to it, though. It didn't. Yeah, so, I mean, we still called it Crawdaddy, but... Yeah, well, you know, the... It, well, I mean, you almost so could have had, like, you could have bred your own crawfish, and you would have had to fly them out again. Right, that's what I... We could have just refilled the bathtub, but I don't know that it would have been a great use of our bathtub. That's fair. That's I'll give you that. I'll give you that. The the chicken thighs, too, I, I, I hear that sentiment so often of... You know, somebody, they had this dish. It was perfect. I don't know how to make it. I can't recreate it. And, mm-hmm. you know, what you said about, you know, you, you, you didn't watch how he did it. I think even if you'd watched it, it's just one of those things. It is so hard to recreate because some people, they just, they intrinsically yeah. just know how to do it right. And it sounds like that's what he did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. He also used to make this spinach salad. And my brother called me a few weeks ago asking me, what all he had put in the salad and if I remembered what the dressing was and we were both trying to rack our brains to figure it out and then he called my mom and asked her and so it was between the three of us trying to piece together this salad that he used to make and we still haven't figured it out fully and so I think that it's one of those things that it's almost frustrating because you want it so bad and you just can't figure it out and he's not here to do it which makes it worse but then in a kind of weird way, it it almost is nice to have that like challenge of trying to get closer and closer to something that he used to do yeah. and knowing that hopefully one day we'll actually crack that code. There's some, I guess there's some joy in the chase. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is why I'm really a firm believer, like we should, and I, I'm bad about this myself, but we should really ask people to write down recipes or try to share them with us. Um, I had my mom several months ago. I told her, I want you to call me. I'm not going to answer, but I want you to leave a voicemail and tell me how to make your chicken and dumplings. Because to me, like Ooh. that is my childhood in a bowl. That is the best thing mm-hmm. I've ever eaten. And I just, I don't want to forget how to make it. Um, but mm-hmm. I need to be better about writing down our recipe. I will, I will make sure to send that to you. I need to, <laughs> I've actually, I've toyed around with, um, with doing a, something for like TikTok or Instagram or something like using the audio and then making it. Um, I'm not good at social media though. I don't really get on it per much personally. So for the podcast, I'm not great about it either. Um, that said, you know, I do want to do better about keeping those, those recipes because even my grandmother, I've, I've said this a, a thousand times probably across this podcast and others that I've been on is that, you know, her cornbread was a thing I, I get, I just, I'll never get just yeah. right. Um, but I'll tell you, I'll tell you this, my experience now as a father and, you know, you mentioned having kids in the future. One of the cool things would be that you'll get to, you'll cook things that will be core memories for your kids and you won't realize you're doing yeah. that, you know, so yeah. 20, 30 years from now, you know, your kids are going to say, mom, how do you make this thing? You know, you make this, mm-hmm. I love it. I want it right now, but I'm, I'm off on my own now. I need you to tell me how to make this. So yeah. Get ahead of the game. Write those down. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great point because I think when I was cooking with my dad and he was making the chicken thighs or he was making the salad, I never, like the thought never occurred to me that I would need to hold on to those recipes because he wouldn't be there to give them to me. And now I, I am a lot more conscious about that and having – Connor's mom and my mom and my grandma and Connor's grandma send us recipes for things and when we're at their house taking pictures of their cookbooks and letting them know what recipes are really important to us if they haven't written them down and I think that that's one thing that I really learned after my dad passed away. I am I am really glad you're doing that because it is one of those things that I, I'm right there with you and I know um, some people I think are more food motivated and I think you and I probably have that same mentality. Uh, I, I'm very much a believer food is more than just fuel. Like food is really, it is, it is for your body, for your soul. It is com- communal. Yeah. It is so many things. Um, yeah, so I'm glad you're being intentional about that. Yeah. Yeah. I actually ended up studying food in college. I did a whole semester on 
um, like the food system and food in society and the importance that food plays. And I think that that class also really resonated with my past and my future with my dad. I, and I love the way you phrase that just now. You didn't just refer to it as your past, but also your future. Mm-hmm. You know, clearly, his memories, I mean, they, they do live on through you, and his memory does, and I just, I think you have a very healthy way of looking at it. It took a long time to learn how to accept it and to use what I learned from my dad now to create a healthy lifestyle that still incorporates him. And I think that that's one thing that counseling really helped me with. Yeah. I um, I want to thank you for being so willing to talk about it because I, I know it's not an easy subject, but the fact that you're willing to share it and talk about it, um, one, I'm sure it helps you, but I know that it helps others. Um, I just, I want to thank you for that. And I want to just commend you for having such a positive mindset, but also being so mindful of how important, you know, mental health is and just in understanding where you are on any given day. I think that's, that's great. And I think more, you know, as a society, as individuals, we should try to be more aware of that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that mental health clearly means a lot to me because of my dad passing, but also you never know what someone is going through. And I remember thinking that to myself almost every day after my dad died because I was at school and people would make insensitive comments and it would always push me over the edge of just being so frustrated and to make my scenario feel even worse because people didn't take mental health and suicide seriously, it felt like. And I think that the, the saying, you don't know what someone is going through, why, that's why you should treat everyone with kindness is so true. And so now I'm always super conscious of if someone is being rude, is it because they have something else going on that they're not talking about? Or if someone is on edge at work, is it because they're having a bad day at home? Like you never know what's going on in people's lives. And I know that when my dad died, the people at my school didn't know what I was going through. Like they didn't understand. And all I wanted was a little bit of grace for people to be more sensitive about it. And I think that you can't, you know, go on the intercom at school and be like, hey, Kendall's dad died, everyone, please be nice. Don't make any suicide jokes. Like, you know, so people just need to naturally be aware that those things are not okay. And to have the courage to defend mental health whenever people are talking negatively about it. I, I, I can't say it any better than that. Thank you so much for saying that. Yeah. Um, before we kind of wrap things up here, I wanted to ask, were there any other memories of your father you wanted to share? Anything else you wanted to say? Um, I mean, there is a ton of memories. I don't think we can fit them all into one podcast. But one thing that I would say that ties that concept together is that anyone who knew my dad had no idea what he was going through. If it wasn't for me having been around when my dad had attempted suicide before and me going to counseling with him, I would have always believed that he was a perfect, happy-go-lucky guy. And I think that people are so good at masking and hiding their real feelings. And I know that I've done that before myself when my dad passed away and pretending to be strong and that I was fine. And to some extent, I needed to pretend to do that in order to make it through the day. But I think that the real strength that I got was from telling people when I wasn't okay. And so I think it's just a good reminder to always check in with people. And I have found that the more vulnerable you are with other people, that the more they're gonna open up to you about their own truth. And so my dad always taught me to be honest and put yourself out there. and. I think that this is kind of a step in the right direction and would encourage other people to always do that too because when my dad died, we went to grief counseling and support groups and to walk into a room and see dozens of other people who were going through exactly what we experienced is eye-opening. And I think just realizing that you're not alone no matter how alone you feel in a given moment is more powerful than people realize. Thank you so much for saying that. And um, 
Yeah, I agree. We we never really know what any other anyone else is going through. And if we don't talk, if we don't communicate with one another, we never will. Yeah. Oh, I, I, That's why I think it's so important. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I do have one last question for you. Um, okay. If you had a chance to have one more meal with your father, what would you want to have? It's going to be super specific. That's okay. First, our meal, the protein, would be marinated chicken thighs with the magical marinade. We would have a fresh grown yellow squash from our garden and probably some homemade pasta. My dad and I used to make homemade pasta together. And so somehow we would incorporate all of those things into a delicious meal. I think I could see that. Maybe the pasta tossed a little butter and Parmesan. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I could see that being really good. That's what it would be. Kendall, I appreciate you coming on and and talking with us today. Um, Thank you so much for sharing your story. Uh, I do want to give time here, though, to let people know where can they find out more about, you know, the Herbtastic and any other work you're doing that you're you're passionate about. Yeah, so super straightforward. My website is theherbtastic.com. My Instagram and all my social media handles are the same, theherbtastic. Feel free to reach out to me, even if it has nothing to do with Herbtastic. If you just want to chat about a loved one that you missed, or you want to talk about food, or you have questions about starting a business, I'm happy to connect with anyone and everyone and do anything I can to help and just be a friend when you need it. And um, yeah, so that'd probably be the best way to get a hold of me. And if anyone wants to reach out, I'd be happy to connect. Awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on today. Yeah, absolutely. It was great meeting you, Andrew. You as well. I want to thank Kendall again for coming on and sharing such a difficult subject. Uh, And again, just the way that she approached it and the way she was able to open up to me is just incredible. So thank you. Um, If you are interested in learning more about her product, The Herbtastic, I will link to that in the show notes or you can go to theherbtastic.com. Please check that out. I think it's great that she's carrying on her father's legacy through something, you know, that means so much to her. And as a food person too, it just means a lot to me. So again, Kendall, thank you. You can subscribe to Our Last Mill wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, you can rate and review. You can share anything that you can do. I, I would appreciate. It. I say this all the time, and it honestly just always feel really feels really uncomfortable to promote the show. I guess. Uh, you would think after a year and a half, I would feel more comfortable with this, but I'm still working on that. Um, it is a passion project. It is something I care about. I say that every time. Yeah. If, you, uh, if you're if you not following on social media yet, uh, our last mill on pretty much everything, uh, feel free to follow. Feel free to reach out. If you ever want to be a guest, you can do that by just sending me an email at rlastmillpod at gmail.com or reaching out on any social media. Thank you as always for listening and I'll see you in a couple weeks.